Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. Today is Thursday, July 16th, 2015. Uh, we're just coming off kind of a long hiatus of uh, uh, no conference calls, and we're starting up again. And tonight we are very privileged to have uh, Mr. Eddie Craig. Eddie Craig is uh, a former sheriff's deputy, a law enforcement and much like Sheriff Mack, one day he woke up and said, this isn't right. And he has uh, since resigned from law enforcement and has dedicated himself to educating Americans on the truth about law enforcement and how uh, things that you can do to protect yourself from uh, well-meaning but not very good law enforcement. That's probably not the best way to say it, but uh, those that are in law enforcement that are, you know, very intelligent, very good, well-meaning people who are simply causing more harm than what they're pre- uh, preventing, in our opinion. So, <clears throat> with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Eddie. Eddie, how you doing tonight? Just fine. <clears throat> Fantastic. So, did I? Was everything I said about you pretty much accurate? Uh, everything except for the woke up one day. I went into it eyes open. I refused to write tickets and things like that the whole time I was there. So. Oh, wow. Well, why don't you give us a little history about that? Uh, well, my first foray into law enforcement was working as a deputy sheriff. My eventual hope and goal was to become a Texas Ranger. That's what I'd wanted to be more than, almost as much as an Air Force pilot when I was a kid. And uh turns out that it's far more politics than it is public service, and that's not what I was going into it for. Uh, by that time, though, I had already spent some time reading and studying on some things and was asking questions nobody really wanted to answer. So I just had to make up my mind if I was going to do the job to try to do it the best way I knew how uh, in accordance with the rules as I understood them. Wow, that is rare. It seems like most guys just, you know, you know, here's your marching orders, do them. Like, yes, sir. Yeah, well, I can tell you one part of it that's not so rare, and that's the fact that I was working for a bigger crook than anyone we had locked up in the jail. So. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, real quick here. Um, i got to do some uh, house cleaning here. Uh, you guys uh, that are called in on the phone, uh, some uh, how you work the system. You want to hit star six to mute or star six to unmute. Um, and if you have any kind of background noise at all, please hit star six so we don't get inundated with noise, things like that. So, so Eddie, why don't you uh, launch into it for us? Um, kind of tell us what the problem is and and uh, 
kind of some of the solutions that you've come up with and, and maybe help us out on, on what we can do if we're ever faced with a traffic stop or maybe any other kind of encounter with police? Uh, well, basically the problem with most of the things that are going on in law enforcement today are very similar to the same things going on with the IRS and the income tax issue. Um, as Uncle Remus once said, it isn't the things you don't know that uh, hurt you. What really puts a hurting on you is the things that you know for sure that just ain't so. And most of what we go through today uh, when it comes to dealing with our public servants is a preponderance of beliefs about how things are, but no factual basis for those belief, uh, beliefs whatsoever are founded in actual law. This is what we've been told. This is what we've been abused into believing. This is what we've been coerced uh, through use of force and threats and coercion. But when you actually read the underlying law and understand what rights and liberties and freedoms actually are and mean, you find out that the one is not consistent with the other. Therefore, I personally chose to live my life as if I was free, regardless of how they wanted me to live it and to be. And I've spent uh, quite a few years now trying to teach that concept and understanding to others. Wow, very well put. Um, yeah, you know, if you kind of look at, uh, if, if anybody were to read the Constitution, and most people haven't, but if you read it, and then you look at what's going on, there is something of a, a disconnect there. Well, it, it's not just a disconnect in the comparison of those two. There is a huge disconnect in reading the Constitution and understanding it. Correct. And... You know, and there's also the issues that people bring up, which are valid. Well, what about safety? You know, what about drunk drivers and, uh, you know, maintaining order? We have to have speed limits or else it's going to be a free-for-all. Perhaps well, we can address as, those objections. As Franklin said, he who's willing to give up a little freedom and a little liberty for safety deserves neither and will lose both. And that's actually, in my opinion, quite true, because sure. every in, every intrusion upon our rights and liberties by the state is always couched in the appearance of public safety, when safety has absolutely nothing to do with it. And I'll give you a prime example. Let's take the driver's license. Okay. It's touted as something necessary for public safety. And when you ask someone why they think so, the very first thing that comes out of their mouth is the arguing about, well, I want to make sure the person's competent, qualified, and trained. Now, think back really, really hard to when you got your license and how you got it. Please tell me what individual trained you. Was it your high school gym teacher? Was it your brother? Was it your mom or your dad? What qualified any of them to train someone else to be competent? <clears throat> Okay, this has not nothing to do with a person being trained because there is absolutely no requirement that an individual take driver's ed or spend one moment behind the wheel of a car to go down and take the written test and the driving test, and if they pass it, to get a license. It is ludicrous to make the argument 
that the license represents training and competency and public safety when you're not required to be any of those things. You can take a test. If you pass it, on to the next one. You take the physical test. You pass it, on. that's it. You're now considered trained and qualified, even if you've never spent one moment behind the wheel. This was never about public safety. This was about getting people to opt into a program that would then allow them to be controlled and manipulated by the government through the use of that license. You don't want to do what we say, oh, we'll take your license away and strand you somewhere now that you fully believe you have to have it to get in your own car. Oh, you don't want to register your car. Well, we won't give you permission to use the streets you paid for and have a right to use because you won't let us control your car. That's what this is about. Okay. Um, so what about what about the issues of, uh, well, like controlling traffic? You know, we, we don't want people going 100 miles an hour down Main Street, and if we didn't have controls, um, there would be those idiots that would routinely go 100 miles an hour down Main Street. So I mean, that, just for the sake the of argument. But the problem is, the, the problem is you have them now. What has any of the speed <laughs> limits done to change that? Absolutely well, nothing. Okay. This is all about individual responsibility and liability for one's own actions. The speed sign does not control the speed of the car. The person in it does. Okay. They choose how they're going to act. The difference here is, is that we don't need regulatory statutes to hold them accountable. If someone is speeding through the middle of town in a way that they know could represent a harmful effect upon the public and the public safety, that's negligence. Negligence can be handled under the penal laws, just like it always was when someone did something stupid that mm -hmm. had such a high potential to cause harm that the likelihood of it actually doing so far exceeded the likelihood that it wouldn't. You go further with that example. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, let's let's take the 100-mile-an-hour idiot, for example. Okay. He may safely negotiate the intersection and not cause an accident. Everybody manages to avoid him, swerve to a stop, jump out of his way, whatever. But in that instance that he went flying through that intersection, he was just as irresponsible and negligent as a person that fired a gun into a crowd regardless of whether he hit someone or not. That reckless disregard for the public health and welfare or the individual rights and safety of another is criminal negligence. That has okay. always been against the law, even in the common law. Okay. And that is where we should be punishing people that do things that cause or take such a high risk of causing that harm. Now, that isn't necessary to say that somebody that flies through an intersection at 100 miles an hour is necessarily guilty of negligence. Let's say, for instance, they had a medical emergency. They had someone in the car that was about to die from a heart attack, a stroke, bleeding out after delivering a baby, a gunshot wound, or they were simply trying to get to the hospital themselves before they succumbed to something. There's no way to know that until you stop them or they get where they're going and stop themselves. 
But if it turns out that they're going to the mall to go shopping, mm-hmm. that's a big difference from going to the hospital for medical treatment because of something severe. Therefore, the circumstances surrounding the action must be taken into consideration. Wow, fantastic. Well, I've kind of been grappling with this issue myself. You know, it's like I understand that things are wrong, that the way things are happening are not right, so what is right and I think what you have just described has helped to clarify, at least in my mind, um, some of the issues that, you know, how do we properly deal with issues like this? And I'd like to hear more about what you mean by the penal codes. Maybe talk a little bit more about that. The penal codes where you will find the actual laws that were once known as common law crimes. Burglary, theft, fraud, murder, assault, kidnapping things of that nature. Those things that are truly criminal because there is an actual victim associated with engaging in that act. Okay. Okay, and, so go ahead. Uh, and, and those types of things have always been what are considered common law crimes. They're identifiable because they are, they are harmful and evil in and of themselves. Okay, and so the penal code just took that, that that was unwritten and just basically wrote it. Exactly. That way, okay. it the purpose of writing it down was to make it more clear as to how someone was guilty of a particular offense. Okay. Wow, thank you for that clarification. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, so we're in our cars now. And we're not necessarily engaged in a penal code offense. We're just kind of going about our day. We didn't use a turn signal or light was out, or maybe we didn't come to a full and complete stop at the intersection where no one was present. And we see the lights in our rearview mirrors. So why don't we take it from there? And... Uh- From there, if you have acted with due care to ensure that your actions were not going to cause detrimental harm to another person's property uh, or rights, then the lights should never be coming on in the first place. A stop sign at an intersection is fine if there's traffic and it's busy. It's another thing entirely when you can see for a fact there's no one around, you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's a certain time of the day or night, and there's simply no traffic. If you slowed down enough to check and make sure that you weren't pulling out in front of somebody, that is not, in in my opinion, uh, something that gives them grounds to come after you, mainly because that is a regulatory uh, infraction, and you're not engaged in an activity to which that regulatory system applies. See, the other part of this aspect uh, of the situation is the fact that what the government can regulate and what it can't. A right, despite what the courts want you to believe, is absolute. Because if it's not absolute, then there's always some way for someone to justify taking it away from you arbitrarily. The only time your right loses that absoluteness is when you have abused its exercise 
to cause harm to another person, property, or their rights. Uh, otherwise, you know, my right to remain free from assault is absolute. My right to go from here to there is absolute. My right to own a gun and to carry it on my hip or slung across my back or in my hand is absolute. Only when I use that right to invade the rights of others does it become subject to intrusion by the state or another person. Okay. Um, so maybe you'd like to get into the script a little bit on do's and don'ts. Uh, well, most of what's in the script is absolute common sense if, if you've downloaded and read it. If you haven't, you can go to uh, logosradionetwork.com forward slash T-A-O, Tango Alpha Omega. And on there, you will see descriptions of what my Tau of Law website will attempt to be doing when we get it up and running. There will also be links there to the transportation script, uh, a practice cross-examination script for court, and so on and so forth. But the transportation script is based entirely upon Supreme Court case law and individual rights associated with interaction with public officials, police, law enforcement, whatever you want to call them, or any other public servant that's attempting to exercise authority over you. The purpose of the script is to help you to understand that most of what they do in a traffic stop is a violation of your rights. And you have a right to be free from that. It's not a power granted to the legislature to compel the waiver of a right in order to comply with a statute. For example, when you get stopped in a transportation stop, the officer will invariably tell you that the law requires you to produce license, registration, and proof of financial responsibility upon demand. However, and then they criminalize it if you don't. There's a place in the statute that says they can charge you with a crime for not doing that. But then you have to consider the fact that any of those documents can be used as evidence against you in a court of law, and they can also potentially incriminate you in some other way that you may not even be aware of. Take, for example, uh, the fact that you actually have a driver's license. Your birthday was yesterday. You haven't got your new license yet, but your old license is now expired. A cop pulls you over. He demands to see your license. You pull the license out. You hand it to him. Now, not only are you going to get a ticket for whatever he alleged to pull you over for in the first place, which he can, by the way, fabricate out of thin air the way the courts have this all set up, but now he has evidence in his hand that you are, quote-unquote, driving on an expired license, which is a new criminal offense, and you handed him the evidence that made it possible for him to charge you. Now, on top of that, if you had not produced the license, here in Texas, there's a statute that makes that a criminal act. It's called failure to display a license on demand. And they can charge you with that. But what that is actually doing is if all you've done 
is invoke your right to remain silent, which includes not only the right to not answer questions, but not to produce anything that can be used against you in a court or that could incriminate you. By being able to charge you for not producing that license, they have now criminalized your right to remain silent in regards to production, which is something the legislature has no power to do. And the courts have already ruled that they cannot do, they cannot criminalize the exercise of a fundamental right. But that is exactly what the majority of these statutes do. The thing I try to get people to understand is that in any traffic stop, there will be a minimum of five due process violations committed before the stop is over. And most people will never be aware they've happened. Well, perhaps you can go down the line and and, uh, lay it out for us. Uh, Well, they compel you to waive your right to remain silent. They compel you to waive your right to assistance of counsel. They They criminalize the exercise of either of those rights. They will almost invariably, if you will not produce what they want, they will falsely arrest you and take you to jail, even though the statute, such as here in Texas, does not authorize a police officer to take you directly to jail when the arrest was done without a warrant. Here, and in most states, they are required to take you directly to a magistrate who is the only one who can order you confined in jail. The officer cannot, but they do it quite regularly. On top of this, if they arrest you, they will also almost invariably tow your car, which is grand theft auto in most states. Okay, Uh, and then you will be falsely imprisoned simply because you exercised your rights. Now, those are potential ones that can happen. The first three will happen regardless. You're going to get those charges against you. You're going to be made to waive those rights, or you're going to be threatened with all of these other things. And that is one of the other due process violations. The officer is not only refusing Uh, to recognize your right to remain silent, your right to assistance of counsel, he is now using threat of force to compel you to waive those rights to comply with his demands, even though his demands are completely unlawful in relation to those rights. So no matter how you slice this, there will be due process violations before it's over. It's guaranteed. There's no way out of it. Just the very fact that the officer pulled you over and did not first attempt to determine whether or not you were engaged in a regulable activity over which he had authority to make such a stop, which again is a due process violation, because what he's doing is creating an irrebuttable presumption that you are engaged in the activity that he can regulate, rather than one that he cannot. But he never verifies or investigates whether or not you are. He just goes into it as a foregone conclusion, even even though he has no evidence of it. So they're operating on a presumption, then, that you're operating in commerce, whether they're aware of it or not. Correct. And whether they have any substantive evidence of it or not. 
So I downloaded your your uh, highway script, and uh, you have a long list of do's and don'ts. Can you maybe go over that that you have in the script and uh, and give us your uh, reasonings behind that as well? Okay. Uh, let me get that pulled up here. By the way, Steve, if you are on the line and you would like to comment, hit star 8 on your phone. Okay. All right. On the do's and don'ts. The first one is do remember that an officer is required to read you your rights. That's true here in Texas, and it's true of almost anywhere. If they're arresting you, which they are if they're stopping you without a warrant, and they're not allowing you to leave, you have to remember that if you have made the attempt to determine whether or not you are free to leave or that you are being detained, if the officer says you're detained and you can't leave, you're actually arrested. You're not simply detained. Now, can you hear me okay with this? Yes, I can. Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Okay. Uh, so understand that when they have arrested you, they are required to read you your rights under Miranda or any information and statements they get from you becomes inadmissible as fruit of the poison tree, all right, basically. If, if they didn't read you your rights, then they're doing an illegal search and seizure. Even if you're doing it voluntarily, they have not properly apprised you of the fact that you're under arrest. And they can't, and they're lying to you about whether or not you are because most of the time they're going to tell you, well, you're in an investigative detention. Well, in Texas and most other states, if you actually read the statute, that is not true. You are in a custodial arrest the moment the lights came on. So don't be talking to the officers, and they have to read you your rights if they're going to keep talking to you. So that's the first one. Do remember that the officer is required to read your rights before questioning or searching you if they have placed you in a custodial arrest. In Texas, you are always in a custodial arrest when stopped, period. Uh, the reading of your rights is mandatory here in Texas under 38.22 of the uh, Code of Criminal Procedure. Now, the other thing you don't ever do is answer an officer's questions. Where you been? Where you going? How many drinks you had? Got anything in the car? You've been smoking this. You've been drinking that. The moment he starts asking those questions, you stop answering anything. In fact, you shouldn't be answering anything to begin with. The one thing you have to remember about answering questions is, depending upon how the state law is written, is this. Here in Texas, there's a statute called failure to identify. If the officer has lawfully arrested you for some other offense, then by law, you are required to provide him with your name, address, and date of birth, but absolutely nothing else. If all he has done and all he has told you that he has done is place you in an investigative detention, then you are not required to provide any of that information. However, you cannot provide him with false information which goes back to the thing we were discussing before about your right to remain silent. 
Let's take the license scenario here again for another example to see why this is so important. Let's say that you've recently moved from an old address to a new one. The license that you have has your old address on it. You've been moved for about, oh, right around a month, month and a half. But you haven't gone and had the license changed to the new address yet. Most states have a law that makes it a crime not to change the address on your license if you've moved more than 30 days ago. You have to put in to have the address changed. That's one caveat to this. Here's the other. Let's say that you're flustered, you're not thinking straight, you're just for some reason you, you're just feeling all jittery about answering this officer's questions here. And he asks you for your address, and you immediately blurt out the one that you are living at now, and it doesn't match the one on your license. Now the officer can charge you under the failure to ID statute because you gave him false information in relation to name, address, and date of birth, even though it was unintentional. So the very fact that you were answering any of these questions at all or producing any of these documents has already given this officer three additional criminal charges he can use against you and thus take more money out of your pocket. Now, by, they're going to get upset when you don't answer their questions, but the script makes it very clear that if they ask a question, you ask a question in return. And it's very simple to do when it comes to this. If the officer asked you a question, invoke your rights. The script makes it very clear anything that comes out of your mouth is working toward one of three goals, invoking a right, demanding a right, protecting a right. That's it. If something comes out of your mouth that's not doing one of those three things, you're doing it wrong. So what we're doing is when the officer asks you any of these questions, the, re the reply from you is very simple. It's another question. Officer, can any of the information you're demanding from me potentially be used against me in a court of law or to potentially incriminate me in any way? I am not an attorney. Therefore, I cannot make that legal determination as to what you can use and what you can't. Therefore, I must presume that anything I produce can be used against me in a detrimental fashion. Therefore, I invoke my right to remain silent. Okay, and I can't waive that right without assistance of counsel. So all we've done is we've answered his question with a question that shows, am I going to be waiving any of my rights by answering that? And just because I'm not an attorney, I don't know if I would be or not, so just to be safe, I'm just not. And that's really all there is to it. Because no matter what you do, you're not going to stop the officer from doing whatever it is he gets in his head he's going to do. The major difference is going to be whatever he does, you have acted in a way that now makes him extremely liable for his choices. Because what he has done, if he gets violent, he breaks out your window or he throws you in jail because you wouldn't answer his questions or give him the paperwork, is he has now charged you with a crime 
for invoking your protected rights. And that they'll never get away with. No court in the land is going to say, look, this person asked you clearly about the invocation of their rights. The moment they invoke their rights, you threaten them with violence. Then you acted on that violence. Then you took and imprisoned that person in a jail cell without any order from a competent detached magistrate. Should we go on as to how many crimes you, the officer, have committed in this stop? And that's what we're out to do, is to make a record that we're not the one being a criminal here. So in the don't ever answer the questions, the primary rule there is answer his questions with a question related to your rights. Beyond that, rule one is shut up. Rule two, shut up some more. And rule three, <laughs> when you've done rule one and two, keep shutting up. Okay? It's that simple. Don't be opening your mouth to say anything, engage him in conversation. Don't let a friendly cop throw you off into thinking that this is going to be a congenial thing and everybody's going to walk away happy. He's trained to get you talking. Believe that, okay? And what you fail to understand is that every law enforcement officer in the country is trained from the very beginning to escalate every traffic stop from a standard stop to a DUI or drug bust wherever possible. Why do you think they ask you, where have you been? Where are you going? You had anything to drink? You got anything illegal in the car you want to tell me about? It'd be good for you to tell me now if you do, because I'm going to go ahead and have a drug dog on the way while I'm writing your ticket, and we're going to walk them around your car. This is an attempt to instigate and elevate the situation into something they can use against you. This is what you have to be aware of. Now, the do roll up all your windows suggestion here is very simple. Cops are notorious for saying that they smell something coming out of your car. Well, their sense of smell is inadmissible in court, but they're still believed just as if it's as good as the dogs. The court will always give them the benefit of the doubt. So my primary, my primary rule for everyone is this. Don't ever walk out of the front door of your house again without something that audio and video records. Just don't do it. Your legal welfare depends upon it. Make sure that whatever you have can be used while you're in your car. All right? You want to set it up to record if you get pulled over, whatever. In fact, I tell everyone, you start recording before you ever even stop for the officer. You get as much of what you do in this script on that video as possible, beginning with the rolling down of your windows. And here's how it works. By rolling your windows all the way down, you air the car out while you're still moving. You roll all of your windows up except for the one next to you. You roll all the rest of them up tight. Then you roll the one up next to you until it's open between two and a half and two inches and never close it completely. That will repressurize the inside of your car, so don't do that. Then, if you are able, spray air freshener, Febreze, something around inside the car and make sure that you're recording all this and saying, okay, 
just in case this officer tries to pull the I smell something routine, I have rolled down all my windows and aired out my car. I've rolled my windows up except for the one. My car is not pressurized from the inside to blow any scents out the window. And just for good measure, I have sprayed this extremely odiferous and strong-smelling scent inside of my car. Let's see if the officer is willing to make up a charge to try to escalate the situation. Now, imagine how a jury is going to react to reviewing that and the cop's face when he's on the stand going, uh, when that's exactly what he did five minutes later. It's a setup from the get-go, but it works. Now, just to give you an example of how well something like this works, even when we haven't gone through that specific scenario, there is a, a friend of mine who... She is constantly getting pulled over by the cops because she's always zipping around from here to there. And invariably during the stop, the officers, because she's Ukrainian, she has a really heavy, thick accent. So they always try to say that they smell alcohol and that she's sounding like her speech is slurred. With her accent, no cop on earth will know if her speech is slurred or not. But the fact of the matter is, Every time that they've done this, she's had me on the phone with her. Why? And every time that they have pulled that, well, we I smell alcohol. I tell her, say this and say this right now. Officer, are you attempting to fabricate probable cause by making false statements into the record and false allegations against me? Because you saying you smell alcohol is a blatant and malicious lie. And every single time, the officer has gone, uh, I'll be right back, and walked away. <laughs> in fact, the last time this happened, she actually had me on speakerphone sitting in the console of her car. The cop had his face stuck up to her window, and I said this over her phone, and you could hear the cop walking away from the window. Damn, this guy's good. Okay. She didn't even have to say it. He just turned and walked away on his own. Speaking of that, would you like to do some role play with this uh, script that you have? Sure. With me. With me. Okay. I got it in front of me. So um, we're pulled over. All right. Which side are you playing here? I'll be the driver. You'll be the what? The driver. I'm sorry, have the, you not listened to my show? I will be there the traveler. There you go. <laughs> okay. Okay, you're coming up to my window. And <laughs> what do you say? Ian and sir, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? Yes, hi, good evening. Uh, for the record, may I get your name and badge number, please? Officer Craig 6461. Sir, can do you know why I pulled you over? Officer Craig, uh, badge number 6461, is there a recording being made of this encounter? I certainly hope so. I've got the equipment running. Now, sir, can you please uh, produce your license registration? Well, excuse me for just a moment, sir. Is that recording comprised of both audio and video? Yes, it is. Can you please produce your license registration and financial responsibility? Sir, Sir, please don't talk while I'm talking. Please let me finish what I'm saying. Can you produce your license, registration, and proof of financial responsibility? 
Back to the recording, are you relatively certain that your recording equipment is functioning properly for the purposes of making this recording? Sir, I'm going to ask you one more time before I take you out of the car. Will you please produce your license, registration, and proof of financial responsibility? Sir, I need to have you answer these questions as they are material to the nature of this stop. Now, I'm going to ask you again, are you relatively certain that your recording equipment is functioning properly for the purposes of making this recording? Okay. Now, let me explain here real quick why you're not doing what the script recommends. Okay. The script is not written in stone. You don't okay. necessarily have to follow it from top to bottom. Okay. Remember what I, as the officer, was asking you for. What did yes. I ask you to do? Produce a license and registration. Which means you should have immediately gone to the portion of the script that invoked your right to remain silent by asking what questions. Oops, I screwed up. I'm starting to get argumentative. You see, this is where most people make their mistakes. They practice the script by going straight from top to bottom. They don't use the script in accordance with what's actually happening at the moment. That's where most people screw up. If the officer starts making demands that would be violative of your rights, then you need to move to the part of the script that invokes those rights and reminds him of them. That way they're in the record before he gets violent and ugly. And that's where most people mess up right now on video, that's exactly what you're going to sound like. You're being argumentative with the cop. Whereas, had you gone the moment I demanded it and said, well, officer, excuse me for a second, but can any of this stuff that you're demanding from me be used against me in a court of law to potentially incriminate me in some way? Right there, the video now has you simply asking a question about your rights. And then it's going to either cop, uh, either figuring out what to say next or lying to your face about it. Either way works good for you on the record. Hmm. Oh, boy, and i got to find that. <laughs> I don't have this memorized. <laughs> right, and see, that, that's where most people, that's why I tell them to practice the script. It's not meant to be followed from top to bottom. Okay. You can get any part of that script in whenever you need to. But you have to be able to know what's in it to the point of being able to go to any point and using it from memory. Well. Because, <laughs> yeah, because most, most of the stuff in there as far as what you actually have to do to interact with the cop is fairly short. Right. Uh, the, only, the longest thing in there is you making the statement about invoking your rights and why. And that's the part you really need to get down to heart right there and get that memorized. Okay. But you need to use it the moment the cop starts making demands that would violate them. So what number is that? Uh, that is actually... Uh, 13. Okay. Okay, so I asked uh, you again. 12 and 13. Yeah. Okay, for the record, Officer Gregg, uh, no law is valid if it requires me in any way to waive any fundamentally protected right in order to exercise any other right or alleged privilege, and no law can convert the free exercise of any right into a crime. I have repeatedly informed you that I choose not to waive any of my fundamentally 
protected rights. So obviously that uh, actually actually eleven was where you needed to start with that right. uh, the actual invocation. But yeah, and you may or may not get to say all of this, but twelve is meant to be used if he presses the issue again. Eleven okay. is where you invoke it. Twelve and thirteen is where you just keep repeating what you've already said. I've already invoked my right to remain silent, my right to assistance of counsel. I'm not going to waive that right. Are you going to attempt to criminalize my actions or uh, harm me or my property because I've invoked those rights and refused to waive them? You put all the onus back on the officer for his behavior, and you remain calm, you remain cool and collected, and all you do is protect your rights. It's going to be extremely hard for a judge or a jury to find you guilty of an offense that the only thing you were doing was protecting the rights you have. This really needs to be studied and practiced. Right. Exactly. And that's where most people mess up, is they, they practice it from top to bottom rather than taking the speaking parts of it and committing that to memory and using it with situational awareness. Situational awareness. That is such a great phrase because that's what it is. Um, so 11, let me go ahead and read that. For the record, Officer Craig, and I forget your badge number already. 6461. 6461. Okay, now, in the script, that is repeated, like, almost every statement. Can you give us the basis for that? That is to make sure that the officer is identified in the recording to as much an extent as possible. That, That way, every time a threat is made or an act is committed, You've identified the actor for the recording. Okay. For the record, Officer Craig, badge number 6461, in order to protect my rights and not waver any by error or accident, I wish to clarify my legal understanding of the situation. You said that I am not free to go, or you are leading me to believe that I am not free to go, so I must conclude that I am in custodial arrest and not simply an investigative detention. Therefore, I'm invoking all of my fundamentally protected rights, including my right to remain silent and my right to assistance of counsel. From this point forward, um, I do not consent to providing you with any information or documents that could or will be used against me in a court of law or to possibly incriminate me. So please do not ask me to produce anything and give it to you. From this point forward, please do not ask me to answer any questions or to perform any form of test relating to any matter whatsoever without my attorney present. And Officer Craig, badge number 6461, do you intend to harm, injure, or punish me by any method of assault, arrest, or incarceration because I have invoked these fundamentally protected rights? Now, of course, you can paraphrase that as much as you need to as long as you don't lose the heart of the matter in it. Right. Uh, I wrote it out to be verbose for the purposes of learning. Right. Uh, You've got to be able to understand why you're doing this. And, of course, people have a tendency to get lost in translation, so it's wordy for the purpose of learning, not necessarily for use. Okay. Okay. And then, of course, the, you have the paragraph there under it that explains the reason we're doing this, and this is how it reads. 
Understand this. When you refuse to produce the demanded documents or to answer any questions, the officer is going to begin to get upset and continuously state that the law requires you to produce a driver's license and other information on demand of a law enforcement officer. They are also prone to falsely accusing you of obstructing or interfering with a public duty or officer or just outright threatening to commit acts of violence against you and or your property. Don't fall for this because 99 times out of 100 it is a scare tactic. Invoking and refusing to waive your fundamental rights is not and cannot be converted into a crime. And if they do arrest and charge you falsely for interfering or obstructing, then you get to sue the crap out of them. Because what they've done is criminalize the exercise of a right. Okay? So when they try to threaten you or coerce you into waiving that right and you refuse and then they retaliate, you've got grounds to sue when that happens. All right, so Eddie, would you like to go to some questions here? Maybe take some questions from those that are listening. Sure. All right, you guys, if you have any questions for Eddie, hit star 8 on your phone. And that'll put you into the queue. We'll call on you. So uh, questions for Eddie, star 8 on your phone. Okay, in Minnesota, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Uh, I got stopped just um, by, uh, by a sheriff uh, on a county road, and I had a private plate on my vehicle that I had made. And I'm um, sorry, you had a private plate on your what? Uh, on my vehicle, I put a private plate on it. It's a, you know, I, I, I wasn't operating in the uh, public. I had a private... Uh, if, you were in a, if you were in a vehicle... Yes, you were. Well, I was in my van. You know, I know. I mean, uh, I was in my van. My motorized van. You mean your private conveyance? My, I was in my private conveyance. And oh, I had okay. A, I had a and the reason I'm being so nitpicky about this, folks, just so you're aware, is there are terms and phrases in the statutes that they use against you. They look familiar to regular English terms or words and phrases, but they aren't. They are what is known in law as legal ease. They look and sound and uh, are spelled exactly like their English equivalent, but they are defined to mean something specific and particular within the statutes. By adopting the use of those terms and phrases to your activities, you're giving them a prima facie case against you. That's why we call them the eight deadly sins. There are eight specific terms and phrases you never, ever use in reference to your activities, and this is why. So go ahead, sir, continue with your uh, question. Okay, so I was in my private conveyance with my private license. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but license plate. I, have, I made a plate that said not for hire and put on the back. Then it's not a license plate. Okay, well, what would I call it then? It's just a private plate. It's not a license plate. A license means somebody had to give you permission to have it. Correct. Yeah, thank you. A private plate. So I had a private plate I made just just to have something on there, you know. Uh, and so I got pulled over. Um, and next thing I know, there was about six sheriffs there. Um, 
<clears throat> and they uh, they end up giving me a citation for a they called it a forged license plate or something. There is actually federal case law on that issue set by my friend Robert Fox, and here's the way it works. The license plate cannot be forged if it is not attempting to mimic a real plate from a real place, nor can it be fraudulent if it is not attempting to mimic a real plate from a real place. The federal judge ruled quite accurately it is impossible to create a fraudulent plate from a fictitious place. Okay. So that, that's a court, that's a federal court ruling? Yes. Robert, Robert Fox, I forget what the specific site of it is, but do a site for Robert Fox and a license plate. Can and you a, should be able to find it. Would that, would that be something that this question might not be in the realm of uh, this discussion, but I'll just throw it out there and, like, and Tad can let me know if it isn't. Is that something a person would accept for value, or, or what would a person do with that? Uh, I am not an accepted for value advocate. I think you do accept it for value, and what you're going to get accepted into is club fed. Oh. So, what, what is what would be you know your your counsel on that, and just generally? Well, my do? issue here is is you're attempting to place me into a regulated activity without any proof or evidence that I volunteered to engage in it or that I was engaged in it in an illegal manner. It's just like the fraudulent plate issue. If you're going to accuse me of a transportation violation, then you must first prove I was acting in transportation. If you cannot do that, then you have no charge, because that charge only exists in relation to that regulated activity. My private travel is not the legal equivalent of a transportation activity. Uh, well, they they told me that uh, if I didn't take the plates off, uh, they they finally ended up take, taking it off. Uh, they were gonna uh, tow the vehicle, <laughs> and they they all had guns. <laughs> so, um, well, again, this this is where you have to have an understanding of what they can do and what they can't do, and take them to task when they do what they can't do. There, there right. is no silver bullet to this. Accepted for value, sovereign citizen declaration, that is not a fix to this. That is not how this works in law. It just simply isn't. There is a regulatory statute, and you have to understand that that is what it is limited to, the regulated activity. And once that activity is established, they must prove that you were engaged in it. Instead, they operate on an irrebuttable presumption of being engaged in it, which is a violation of due process. So uh, they, 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 they told me I couldn't drive on, uh, on the road. Uh, they, they, to, they, told, they told you what? They, they told me I, that, that they better not see me driving on, on their roads again. <laughs> Well, there's two problems with that statement, driving and their roads. It's not their roads. The roads belong to the public. They always have. They're built for the public's use, not for the extraordinary use 
of private profit and gain for commercial purposes. That has been case law since the beginning of the automobile. The roads belong to the people. They don't belong to the state. They don't belong to the subdivision. They belong to the people. Thank you. Uh, Pat, is this going to be recorded for the uh, the site to, to listen to over? Well, it's, the recording will be here at TalkShoe. At the, at the TalkShoe? At the yeah. LKW at TalkShoe. Is it going to be on the You Have the Right to as well? Um, that's undetermined. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all right. for all. This. Thank you, Sheriff. I appreciate that uh, good information. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Wisconsin, you're next. Oh, was that hey, up? good evening. Is this me? Yes. Okay, yes, very well. Yes, I have uh, three uh, private conveyances. Um, none are registered. Well, they they were registered and they have expired, and I determined that I didn't. Uh, need to uh, register my property. However, I was told, and I recently did, have done this, um, I sent a silver dollar per uh, private uh, conveyance to the controller of the state of Wisconsin, asking him if there was any liens or uh, any security interest that the state might have that um, this is to pay that off. And if it's not to pay it off, then I assume that there's not. It's my understanding, or I have been told, that the state, um, through registration, obviously, um, splitting the title and that type of thing, um, has some sort of um, uh, lien that uh, that they require you to, uh, they consider it part of their property. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, and I do know that you threw away your silver dollars. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, this this is not a werewolf hunt. Silver isn't the solution to this. Okay. Uh, Follow the logic here. When you purchase a car, the car when it comes from the manufacturer has what's called an MCO or MSO, manufacturer certificate or statement of or, uh, origin. That's the original ownership papers to the car. Okay. It's like a loyal title to land. Now, if the car is not purchased in cash, it is financed, who financed it? Ultimately, your No, signature. not ultimately. Not ultimately. Let's not go off the deep end here. Who financed it? Where did you go to get the money? Let's say a bank. Okay, let's say a bank. You mean like the Charleston State Bank, for instance? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's a state-backed bank. Would the state have a vested interest in that loan? As long as there's a lien on it. Which, until the loan is paid, that would be true, wouldn't it? Yes. Okay. So they at the uh, Secretary of State's office, or in this case, like here in Texas, it's the Department of Public Safety. They're the ones in charge of that stuff. They receive the MSO or MCO to hold until that lien is satisfied. 
What they are supposed to do is just like the mortgage agreement on a house, that paper is to be held until the mortgage is paid, at which time the mortgage was to be returned to the buyer, and that's why they used to have what was called mortgage-burning parties, because the mortgage was the piece of paper that could prove that there was an outstanding lien against the house. Whoever possessed the mortgage possessed the lien, right? Yes. So once the mortgage was burned, no one could ever come back and say, you owe me money on this mortgage. Well, that's what the state does with the certificate of title. They instead, they burn your MCO or MSO after it's been copied to microfish and shredded. That's exactly the process they use. They microfish it, they shred it, they destroy it. Then they issue a certificate of title, which is, according to the code here in Texas, a negotiable instrument. It can be transferred just like a check or a bond. Mm-hmm. Whenever you give that card or sell that card to someone else, you sign the back of that instrument and it's transferred to them when they go down and re-register it with their signature. So instead of providing you back with your mortgage like they were required to do when the lien was satisfied, the state has a perpetual interest in your property through that paperwork. What you do need to do is take a copy of the actual title that you do possess, you send it with a certified affidavit to your Secretary of State, and you ask this question exactly with these words. I intend to remove this alleged vehicle from the jurisdiction of this state. Do not name your state. Use exactly the phrase, this state state and to remove this alleged vehicle from the jurisdiction of this state okay can you please provide me with any information showing whether or not this state claims any alleged liens on the property Mm -hmm. the secretary of state We'll investigate it, and we'll send you back a certified letter, hopefully with your title, or at least a – here they will actually send you a different form of title showing that there are no outstanding liens by the state on the property. And that's really all you need from that point because you're never getting the MSO or MCO back. So that's the next best thing you're going to have is proof that the Secretary of State says the state has no interest in this property. Uh Uh-huh. Well, At that point, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it. It seems uh, pretty much. I'm looking for the for the the request here. Um, I didn't need to send the two for dollars. <laughs> I thought I said that at the beginning. You did. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I would well, recommend that whoever whoever you're listening to that tells you stuff like this with no verifiable proof of what they're talking about. You hold their head underwater until the bubbles stop. <laughs> because this is somebody making it up as they go, or they're buying somebody else's made-up version of how it goes. I'm going to explain to you the legal reason for why I'm describing what I'm describing to you. Not because I believe it to be 
theoretical, but the actual basis in law for why this would or should be the proper process. The Secretary of State is the legal point of contact for determining what interest the state has in any piece of property. They are the holder of all documents in relation to that in every state. Therefore, if the state had a lien against your car, she or he at the Secretary of State's office would know about it and have documentation of it. Mm -hmm. The fact that they send you back a certified notice saying that we have no record of any lien or anything against this property. Now you've got verifiable proof from a governmental entity responsible for that determination that the state has no financial interest in your property. Now the state runs the risk if they try to tow it, take it, or claim you have to use it a certain way or do something in relation to it, of having to prove up that they have an interest that allows them to make that a requirement. And they can't, because you have proof that it doesn't exist. Hmm. Now it's a fight to make them prove that they have some authority to do what they're doing to your property. And again, the only way they can do that is through the creation and application of an irrebuttable presumption, not actual evidence and fact. That makes it an action that can be pursued through the courts because an irrebuttable presumption and violation of rights is unlawful. Exactly. So, so and hang on a second. So, Eddie, hmm? you said use this state. You were very specific about that. What is this state? Read all of your statutes relating to motor vehicles or transportation or whatever it is in your state. You will never, ever see them name the state. It will always be the phrase, this state. This state does not have a definition in most codes. Therefore, for you to assume this state means Texas or Nebraska or Pennsylvania, would be an error, okay? Because let's look at what this state can mean in relation to actually naming it. Let's say someone says the state of Texas, all right? Are we talking about the geographical boundaries within the exterior borders of the geographical location known as Texas? Are we talking about the actual soil known as the state of Texas? Are we talking about the political entity known as the state of Texas? Are we talking about the body politic, the people themselves collectively referred to as the state of Texas? Which one are we talking about, guys? Right, or the uh, Texas state or Texas republic? Of course, yeah, there's many different... Uh, and since the statute does not tell us, we do not presume, then the onus is on them to prove what it means. Exactly. And so two of the cars there uh, have expired tags, and, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and get tags on my wife's car for she doesn't get pulled over. Uh, I'm just going to 
pay the extortion fee on that one. The mine, I'm not. The expired. I'm, okay, well, let me, let me let me stop you right there just a second before you continue. There's something you need to understand. You said wife, right? My bride. You you said your wife, correct? I did. Do you like her? <laughs> I love my bride, yeah. And you want to keep the, her? Yeah. Then you better make damn sure she understands the kind of problems you're going to run into and have to deal with day in and day out by taking this stand. Because it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy. It's going to put a lot of pressure on you. And in some states, you can wind up in jail because of it. If she's not willing to be accepting and understanding and supporting you, you're going to come home to an empty house one day after going, I ain't paying the extortion. Right. Most people, though they love their rights and their liberty, do not have a clue of how to go into a courtroom and protect them. And if you jump into this fight unarmed and unprepared, you are going to get a mud hole stomped in your behind. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> so on my plate, so her, she's been running, um, and she's with us on on this, and, and uh, I've got a, a script for her just to give to any uh, any uh, officer, agent, uh, actor pulling her over, and she knows what to do, not to say anything. Here, you take this, and, and she's not to say anything. And but you know, she's I've been studying this stuff for about five years now. Um, and as far as the, the expired tags, I would take, take those plates off because that, that's, a, that, that's a presumption right there that they have to pull you over right, right then and there. Expired tags, boom, their lights are going to come on. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think is the best thing? Just take them off and leave it blank? Or, or like the gentleman from uh, my neighbor, Wisconsin here, uh, or Minnesota, uh, not for hire on the back of my truck. I have private not for hire just written in the Well, house. let me let me explain to you how the mindset of the law enforcement officer works. Just even outside of his training, just from a common sense point of view. If you see a car with no plates, the first thought in the officer's mind is stolen car. That's going to be his first probable cause to pull you over. If there's no plates of any kind on the car. Second, if the plates are out of the ordinary, okay, he's going to pull you over to see whether or not those plates belong to another car or why they would be that way. The problem here is is how they're being trained to understand what the statutes do and what they can really do. If the officer was properly trained in rights and liberty and how these regulatory statutes can be applied constitutionally versus unconstitutionally, the first thing he would have to ask, absent suspicion of a stolen car, is are you engaged in any form of transportation or commercial use of the highways? If the answer was no, he can say, okay, so you don't have a logbook, you don't have a passenger manifest, and you don't have uh, uh, any type of cargo manifest. A bill of lading. 
And it'd be like, no, sir, I don't have any of those. Like I said, I'm not engaged in transportation or commercial use of the highways. All right, well, then please do whatever it was I stopped you for more safely and don't cause an accident and have a nice day. And that would be the end of it. But that's not what they're trained to do. They are trained to treat this as if it's required by everyone when it is not. So that is the first irrebuttable presumption they establish. Everybody's got to have it. Not true. Right. What What uh, have uh, people success, have had good success with, and then I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll leave it off. Well, there, it really depends on how you're wanting that question answered. There's all kinds of success in the minds of the individual. Hey, they dismissed. I didn't have to pay money. A lot of people consider that a win when, in fact, it wasn't really a win. They just didn't lose, okay? Right. But the fact is, how does that that not losing help the next guy in line? Mm -hmm. If If his case isn't dismissed too, then what? So right now... Only certain people that make certain arguments are benefiting from them to either get them dismissed or whatever, while everybody else has to pay. And that's what the system counts on, because the system counts on it being profitable to make it feasible. And it's profitable when 90% of the people pay without fighting, and only a few of them fight at all. And that's how it stayed alive for as long as it has. If every single person fought every single ticket, the system would go bankrupt trying to do the cases. Yes. All right. So if if you want to know what the most successful way of doing this is, I'll tell you. The problem is, is you don't have the people doing it. The most successful way to do this is to educate the people around you that are going to be sitting in the jury box trying you. Get everybody on board to understand that not only can they look at the law and say that doesn't apply here, they can say because it doesn't apply here, we're not going to convict. And then when it becomes unprofitable because they can't get convictions, they're going to have to find something else to do because this isn't working anymore. So you like the guys, uh, just a general generic plate, not for hire, and... uh... As opposed as opposed to leaving the license plate on with the expired tags, with that's they're both going to be red flags for me anyway. I guess so. That's true. The difference is is that I've actually had not for hire plates on my car, and in my hometown, the cops got so used to pulling me over and why and getting the same answers that they eventually just stopped pulling me over, and the courts stopped trying to get me in there. <laughs> Very All right, well. Melissa, we got some more questions that are lining up here in the queue. Thanks, right, so, yeah, thank you. Okay, in Pennsylvania, you're next. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Craig, I, I want to thank you for what you're doing, you know, stepping forward and, and doing what you're doing. I'm going to pass out your website, try to make it go viral so we can help a whole bunch of people here. I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, my question is, well, let me tell you a little bit. I, I'm from Pennsylvania, obviously, and, and I was on the interstate in Ohio. Got pulled over by the state police. 
Uh, I invoked my rights uh, and I shut up. Didn't didn't give them my driver's license. Uh, they did the threats. Um, we're going to arrest you. Open your window. This, you know, my window was cracked, and uh, it ended up being an hour detainment. They he finally called the supervisor. They wrote a ticket, threw it in a window. I didn't even sign it, and they all drove. We I drove off, and they drove away. I I appealed the ticket to Pennsylvania, uh, and I. I uh, invoked my rights with the with the clerk of court before I went in. Went in, saw the judge at, at the uh, common police court, and the judge said pretty much, you know, he just railroaded me and said you have to pay it, or you're going to lose your license. Where did okay, I go wait, wrong? Wait, wait, wait. Let me I... let me let me clarify something here. You said you got pulled over in Ohio. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. And you yes. took the ticket to a Pennsylvania court? Well, I, I appealed it. No, wait, 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 wait. This is a yes or no question. You took the ticket to a Pennsylvania court? Yes. Okay. How in the world is that supposed to work? A Pennsylvania court has absolutely no jurisdiction over a citation issued in Ohio. Okay. Well, I think what I did was is is I just kept writing letters to the magistrate in Ohio, and just told them that they uh, they have no jurisdiction. I didn't show my driver's license, and you know I'm going to appeal it to Pennsylvania. And they they just told me they said fine. We have. Uh, reciprocal agreement with the state of Pennsylvania, and, and uh, we're going to get our money no matter what. And, that's and they that are happened. correct. And you know why? Why? Because by not addressing it properly, you will have waived any opportunity to do so, and because of that reciprocal agreement, Pennsylvania is going to put you on the list of no license. They're going to invalidate your license, and the next time they stop you, they're going to be all over you like white on rice. Okay. What you have to understand, so folks, about the reciprocal agreement that they're discussing is this. The federal constitution specifically says that no state may enter into any contract or compact with any other state without congressional approval. Where is the only clause in the United States Constitution where Congress may operate directly within the state? Please, someone feel free okay. to answer that if they know. Uh, forts, arsenals, stockyards. No, the interstate commerce clause. That too. Okay. Now, since the only authority the federal government has in relation to the states and the people in them in a direct fashion is through the commerce clause, Logic dictates that the approval of any form of interstate licensing agreement must therefore be related to what? Commerce. Correct. Commerce. And because it's related to commerce, we now can apply federal law when they're using a reciprocal agreement. Because any time an agreement between the states 
is facilitated by federal acts, the federal acts are controlling over the state. When you look at what that is, if you go through your state statutes, you will invariably find somewhere, either in the actual codes related to the subject matter or in your state administrative code relating to your state police agency or licensing entities or whoever they might be, you will find references to 49 United States Code. Title 49 United States Code is Commercial Motor Carrier Safety Act. It is through that act that all states created and utilized their motor vehicle and transportation codes. Everybody follow? So your argument here is proof of commerce. They're not going to play it. They're not going to do it. That's because they don't actually understand it, and they don't care. You have to get this from the lower courts to the higher courts before you're ever going to get it addressed. You never go into the lower court with the idea of winning. You go into the lower court with the idea of making a record for the purpose of appeal that shows the state cannot prove its case. And it cannot prove its case because it cannot prove the fundamental necessary element of commerce. Got it. But you must go, you must take the battle into a court that has jurisdiction. And in this case, that's Ohio. In whatever county or precinct or district or however they have it arranged there in Ohio, that's where you have to go. Because nobody else is going to have jurisdiction over it. And all they have to do is file something with Pennsylvania saying, hey, this guy owes us for a ticket he ain't ever paid. And Pennsylvania is going to go, oh, okay, well, under our reciprocity agreement, We'll suspend his license for you. And when he tries to come in and get it, we'll either get your money or we'll nab him. Well, they got the money, that's for sure. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right. right, Thank you. Okay, it looks like our final question for the evening in Southern California. You're next. Hi, is that me? That's you. Okay, my question is this, Eddie. I've listened to the and listened to your radio show and practiced the transportation script, etc. And you even have the court script uh, on your website. But one of the things I just didn't understand was you always said it was very important that you know whether the laws, the transportation laws, followed criminal, administrative, or civil, but. I can never understand what was the what's the difference in terms of procedure or what happens in court. What, why is it important to know where the transition laws lie? Well, because the rules of procedure will be different depending upon where it lies. In the administrative uh, courts, there is no due process. There is no right to anything in an administrative court. An administrative court is very clear. A, here's the rule. B, did you break it? C, game over. (laughs) There is no appeal to right, wrong, or circumstance. That's why they call them strict liability statutes, okay? 
In civil, they would have to prove an agreement, an implied contract, something that would bind you and create a legal duty to perform at which you failed. In criminal, they would have to prove that you caused a palpable harm to another person or property. Therefore, the procedures and the requirements for getting jurisdiction and having a case are different in each one. That's why you have to know where it comes from. Well, how do you combat the administrative one? The bam, bam, bam By forcing one. them to prove the administrative even applies. For that, you need to understand whatever is involved in your State Administrative Procedures Act, whatever that may be. Here in Texas, that's Chapter 2001 of the Government Code. I don't know what it is in California, but every state has one. Okay, got it. Thank you. Uh-huh. We actually have one more uh, question on the board. Okay. And this caller is from Texas, so Stop. when you unmute, it's your turn. Stop. Hi, Craig. Um, thank you for all that you do. And I had studied your videos and studied your script and thought I had it down really good. My, It was time to renew my license tags and plates. And I decided, okay, I'll go for it. So I put a, a, ta a, <clears throat> a plate that said traveler, not for hire, on the back of my car. I went 3,200 miles, traveled different states, Never got pulled over until one night in the small in a town in uh, Fort Worth area. <clears throat> a cop pulled me over, and first thing he says, "Let me see your, you know, he goes to the spill. Let me see your uh, driver's license, hat, you know, all all the stuff." And I said, "And your name is?" And I went through my spill, and uh, finally he was. I, I would not give him my uh, information, and he. Finally, I said, well, I need to see your supervisor because he was getting very frustrated. By the time the supervisor got there, I tried to – I was I talked too much, obviously, because I explained to him that I was traveling in my private automobile conveyance, and I was not right. in commercial. Uh, let me interrupt you one second. What does the <laughs> script say about that? Uh, well, number one, he, I should have been asking him if I was uh, being detained. Uh, well, that's true, question. that's true, but what does the script say to in relation to what you just told us you did? Uh, don't talk. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, keep your mouth yeah, shut. The script is very clear. Do not attempt mm -hmm. to educate the officer on the side of the road. That yeah, is not I, the place for it. Yeah, well, this is true. So by the time the supervisor got there, he told me to get out of the car. I would not get out of the car. I told him I was not going to be talking anymore and, you know, I was reserving my rights. None of the cops ever read me my rights. And by the end, they had my car surrounded with cops and guns. And um, he kept telling me, you get out of the car, we're going to break into your car and get you out of the car. And so... I, I wouldn't get out of the car still, and so he called a tow, tower to break into my car and, of course, steal my car. And then then I got out. He handcuffed me, still didn't re read me my rights, and he still didn't know my identification. He didn't know who I was still. 
So then they started searching my car, and then in my purse, uh, of course, they went through my purse after I'm handcuffed and still didn't re- read me my rights, told me I was going to jail, um, and he um, found my passport inside my purse. So then, therefore, he knew who I was and my birthday and all my information. Got to jail, got fingerprinted by the two cops, and um, because I know a few things to write on paperwork, they didn't let me sign my fingerprints because they got, between the two of them, they got a little antsy on the way I knew how to box, do the four corners rule and do some things on the paperwork that they were having me to sign. And anyway, long story short, I ended up spending the night. The next day, a lady shows up and calls me out. Well, I didn't know that she's the magistrate. She didn't explain who she was or what she was. She just told me to stand by the blue wall, which I know what that means. I'm out to see. And she says to me, the only thing she says to me is, do you understand English? And instead of playing her game by saying, yes, I understand English, I said to her, uh, that is, English is my, my uh, main language that I do prefer to speak. Well, then she says, let me ask you again. And she asked me three times in three different ways to try to get me to say, I do understand. Anyway, she throws me back in my cell, and I get to spend the night again. And meanwhile, the next day, they have all the paperwork still figured out that I'm going to have to pay because I don't have um, proof of insurance and all the stuff. And um, then they also charged me with a misdemeanor because I failed to... I'm not sure what they charged me with an misdemeanor class C4, but uh, anyway, so then I had to... Well, they're all misdemeanors. Yeah, so so anyway, I had to be bonded out to get out. (laughs) And so now for... And this happened last February, okay? February. Mm -hmm. And so now what I have to do is call like a criminal every Tuesday and check in with my bond. Bond guy to tell him that I'm still here so that I don't get arrested for not calling in. Okay, let me ask you this. You bonded out in February, right? Yep. When did they file the criminal complaint? They really did never do it. Now, wait, 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 wait. I don't think they ever did. Well, you think. How many times have you checked what is to go and check and see what is in the court file? at the court that's supposed to have jurisdiction in this case? I have called. I have no, called. Whoa, whoa, have... whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Okay. How many times have you gone and asked to look at the court file okay. at the court that has jurisdiction of this case? Oh, I've only been at one time, which was about a month ago, and they had nothing on record. They had no case pending. They have no, nothing with that name, period, my name. Okay. And you haven't sued anybody. Why? The reason I haven't I haven't sued them for kidnapping and stealing my car and all the things that they did wrong uh, is because I guess because of this, this bond on me waiting to he said this could take up to two years he said but probably this will, this is never going to go to trial and I said he said you shouldn't even be here and I said yeah you're right 
And so I guess because of the the misdemeanor bond guy, me call, having to call the bond, I guess that's why I've never sued them. Okay, what does you being out on bond have to do with a lawsuit that you're entitled to file? Nothing, except I just don't know how, really. Well, that well, that's a different situation than the bond, right? Well, I guess that was kind of okay. in my mind. So don't look for reasons not to do something or make excuses for it because you're the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. A lawyer will never take this case and fight for your rights. Do we understand well, each other on that? Yeah, I wouldn't hire a lawyer. I'd fight it myself by myself. Well, but there's a problem with fighting it yourself if you don't have a clue what you're doing. Well, I agree. <laughs> That's okay. So there's two ways you learn how to do that. The first thing is you have to learn how criminal procedure works in Texas because that's what they were supposed to follow when they did what they did to you, and they didn't. Right. Okay? The officers, by taking you directly to jail, committed numerous felonies, none of which they will have ever been charged with until you do it. I know. On top of that, you you need a course written by a lawyer out of Florida that is sold on the rule of law website called Jurisdictionary. Jurisdictionary teaches you how to file and maintain a lawsuit. The downside to it is it does not tell you specifically how to do it against a governmental entity. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to have to do here. And that's a difficult thing to do to go after the government and not know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But you cannot count on an attorney to do the right thing for the right reason. They almost never will. Correct. So that's the whole reason my course, my class, and my attitude exists is because I'm here to teach people how to do this without having to resort to the use of an attorney. Right. We're only right. going to get out of this mess when we become self-reliant and self-sufficient, and we group right. together to help the other people that aren't as capable to to have the same results. Right. That's and what I'm, this is. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. I agree totally. Okay. Well, the problem here is uh, you're going to need to know how to do this. And they're incorrect, or they're correct in one aspect. It can take up to two years to do this, but that's why you need to keep a constant check on that file because they have up to two years to file the criminal complaint in Texas for a misdemeanor. But Mm -hmm. they also only have two years to get it prosecuted and their speedy trial clock starts from the moment they file the complaint. And here's what you need to watch out for and what they get away with way too often here in Texas. The courts have set the minimum standard for jurisdiction to a sworn complaint. They never, ever file the complaint until the last minute most of the time. Every once in a while, they'll file it beforehand. But usually they will not file the signed complaint until after they've gotten through all of the pretrial stuff. Now, here's why this is important. When they do it that way, they have deprived you of your right to a speedy trial because the speedy trial clock never started until the complaint was actually sworn and filed. At the same time, the court never had jurisdiction to do anything without that complaint. So not only has the court held every hearing and appearance without any jurisdiction to do so in such a case, but they have deprived you of your right to a speedy trial 
by not being penalized for the time it's taken. It's a very tricky way they do this, but it's intended to prevent them from defaulting on the speedy trial issue. Mm -mm. It's unconstitutional, it's unlawful, it's wrong, but they will do it. Guaranteed they will do it. So, Eddie, do you provide coaching on something like this? I do. I provide one-on-one coaching, but it's not free. I also have my traffic seminar material, which has over 400 different legal pleadings for Texas to be used in such cases, including instructions on how to do it. Um, And I offer, you know, I'll consult with you on what's in the seminar material free of charge. I'll help you and tell you, well, here's what you file and why you file it. But if you want direct personal coaching, that I got to charge for that because I got bills I got to work to pay too. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> well, um, hmm. but the fact what of the you- matter is that since they haven't done anything, and the fact that the officers took you directly to jail and not before a magistrate. Mm-hmm. then they have a false imprisonment issue right there you could sue them for. Because the Texas right. case law on that is very, very clear. They cannot do that. So if you want to right. be coaching with him, you can contact me and I'll put you in touch. Well, um, the reason I think that the one thing I think I have going for me is that they know that I know that um, – that they are in violation. I, I personally, from my heart, do not think that the case of this uh, misdemeanor thing will ever come about. I don't think, I don't think they'll file it. Is what I'm saying because they know that I know that they are not doing things right. Well, despite... the reason. Let me tell you why they're not going to file it. They're not going to file it because they held you in jail illegally if that's if they don't file it. And if they do file it, they're going to try to minimize that fact. They're going to prevent you from talking about that fact as much as possible. They were never allowed to throw you in jail for a Class C misdemeanor, and they know it. Well, and could they even give me a Class C misdemeanor for just not showing my identification and all that stuff. Well, that's what I'm telling you. That's how they criminalize the invocation and exercise of a right. Right. But until you make that argument, there's a statute that says it's a crime. You Mm -hmm. have to challenge the statute's constitutionality for criminalizing the exercise of a right. Until you do that properly, it won't matter what you think or what you know. Okay. So I should have filed a complaint as soon as I got out of jail, probably. Not just a complaint, but a motion to dismiss. And you should have laid out all all of the details in a proper affidavit and filed it with the motion to dismiss. Right. So, ma'am, do you know how to get a hold of me? I don't. Mm -mm. Okay. Uh, You can, my website is youhavetheright.com. You can go there. Uh, you'll have to look for the contact tab. It's not easy to find, but if you start clicking on different pages, you might find it. Or you can just email me directly at kish, K-I-S-H, kish, K-I-S-H, at mailhouse.com. And I'll, okay. forward, your, I'll forward your info, information to Eddie. 
Okay. And, you know, I did video uh, most of that. So, you know, if anybody wants the video just for learning purposes, you know, I can send that to... to, to so you recorded <laughs> the stop? Oh, yeah, I did. What do you think of that, Eddie? Uh, well, I think it's a good start. The question is, is how well did she handle it? That's what the video is going to show us in an undiscriminate fashion. Well, it's going to show. It's going to show. Yeah, it, it's going to show that I did not handle it right by just not talking, you know, to the cops. Yeah, it, it's kind of like I have people call into my radio show all the time. Well, I followed your script and I got in trouble. Well, tell me what mm-hmm. you did. And then they start mm-hmm. off telling me everything the script told them specifically not, not to do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, you didn't follow my script. You followed one of your own. But uh, you know what happens is you you get under those kind of uh, you know the thoughts. You're you're already heart beating, and you're like, okay, I got to remember all this stuff. When really you exactly. Don't and that's exactly why you have to practice the script under all kinds of conditions and circumstances. Mm-hmm. You get yep. your family to participate with you, to surprise you with it. You know, the more you practice and the more comfortable you become with knowing what you have to say and when and why, mm-hmm. the more yes. likely you are not to forget it and, and get frustrated and let it fly right out of your head when it happens. Yes, I agree, totally. So anyway, it was good. It was good practice for me, and it was a great learning experience, and uh, to say the least. <laughs> but I did start with you uh, over a year ago, watching your videos, and and. Um, well, I'm glad you chose to stand up for yourself, but just make sure that you get properly prepared, everyone. This is not for the faint of heart. Even though it's a very simple type of charge, it can't throw you in prison for it. It's still not for the faint of heart because you get out there and these cops lose their temper, they can still hurt you. Whether you're doing something right or doing something wrong, they can still hurt you. And you are the only one on the scene that can determine just exactly how detrimental the situation is about to turn and what you have to do. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Yep, that's, that's true. That is so true. All right, so, Eddie, um, are you available to take one more question? Sure. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right, ma'am, thank thank you you very much. Have a good evening. You too. All right, Central Minnesota, you're next. Hi, I I just had another quick question on, uh, do you recommend at all putting the uh, sheriff's office on notice with uh, disposition ahead of time uh, on the... um, you know, as far as uh, private, um, you know, move, you know, the private uh, conveyance. Well, that really depends on how well you're acquainted with your sheriff and what his personal disposition is in the first place. Because here's two possible scenarios with this: you put them on notice. The sheriff's just a good old country boy. It's like, well, if you see him, you know, just handle it. He's already told us what he's doing. He's not dangerous, but Write him a ticket, whatever. Just don't make a big issue out of it. Just take care of business and do whatever. Or he can do the gung-ho macho thing and put you on the hit list and say very simply, this gentleman's told us he's going to be out breaking the law. You find him, you take him down. (laughs) So how he's going to do that, 
You need to figure that out before you take that tack. Okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, the, well, the, actually, the the head sheriff around here, he seems uh, pretty reasonable. It's the dip, it's the, uh, the sergeants that are a little bit ornery. <laughs> so. Well, that's why you need to make sure that you go through him as, as much as possible to let, make him aware of it. But at the same time, you know, he's not always on the scene when these sergeants are calling the shots. So you you have to be careful. Okay, yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, advice. I I think, <laughs> judging by my experience, I had just uh, two days ago. So <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Right. Thank you. Okay. All right. That's it. That's all, all right. the questions well. for the evening, and so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, we're going to cut off the questions. No more. So, Eddie, thank you very much. It was uh, incredibly educational uh, and eye-opening, and you certainly have done your homework. You seem to know what you are doing very well. And we I like- hope so by now. I've been doing this for a while. If I haven't got it down yet, I'm in real trouble trying to tell somebody else how to do it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we would like to have you back, too. Well, so. be my pleasure. All right. So anyway, Eddie, thank you very much for showing up tonight, and um, uh, we do look forward to having you again, hopefully sometime soon. And so everybody, uh, thanks for uh, showing up tonight. And again, this uh, this call is a production of youhavetheright.com, where we have other issues that we deal with as well, so please check it out. That's youhavetheright.com. So all right, everybody, uh, thank thanks, you. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and good night. With This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.